Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, Thanksgiving week. So glad that y'all are here, uh, that y'all could make it with us uh, to worship this morning. We are continuing in a little short series, two-week series, kind of leading up to our Advent series that will start next week in uh, 1 Corinthians, where we're looking at running the race that's set before us. The Apostle Paul, and all over the New Testament, describes the life that we're living, the life that we're leading as this race. Uh, that God has us on. And so let's just jump right in here this morning. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 23 and 27 are our verses this morning. The Apostle Paul tells us this, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. That's a huge statement right there. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run in a way that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So what we saw from this text last week, if you remember, as we began this, was that um, the Apostle Paul is telling us that the Christian life, this life that we're leading, uh, uh, God saves us, God puts us on the new path, he describes it as this race or a fight, right? Both of those are difficult things. If you've ever run a race or trained for a marathon, you've ever, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're an amateur boxer or something in here, right? But those are difficult things. Those are not things you just sort of sign up and show up to. You have to train and you have to um, exercise. You have to prepare. You have to understand the task at hand. And so Paul is telling us that the Christian life that we're living is like a race. It is like a fight. It's like running. It's like boxing. But more importantly, we saw uh, that it's not just the fact that he's, uh, he's making this comparison, but it's the way in which we run. It's the way which we fight makes a difference whether we share in the gospel, if you remember this from last week. And a share in the gospel is this idea that we are saved, that we're a child of God. And so Paul is saying the way in which we run, the way in which we fight, makes the difference in whether or not we share in the gospel. That was verse 23. And whether we seize the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, whether we uh, gain this crown of righteousness that Paul talks about, and w- or on the flip side, or if we're disqualified from the race altogether. So he juxtaposes this way that in which we're to run, this way in which we're to fight, and we're not to cut corners, we're not to cheat, we're not to do it our way, we're to do it the way that God has called us to. Otherwise, we find ourselves at the end of the race disqualified, the Apostle Paul tells us. So we can make this, uh, these conclusions, even from last week, that this life that we're leading, this life that we're living as Christians, as believers in Christ, is not a race, is not a fight, is not a game with no lasting consequences. The way we live it, the way we run it, the way we fight has eternal consequences. So this life that you are living, this life that I am living right now, whether it's for 10 more years, 20 more years, or 80 more years, is a, Paul is saying, a proving ground, is a proving ground 
to prove who we are, to prove whom we trust in, to prove whom we cherish most deeply and most profoundly. Our lives are a proving ground for those things. It's, it's who we trust and whom we believe and whom we know is fighting through and for us. And so everything in our lives, the Apostle Paul is getting at, is revealing and revealing and revealing to ourselves and to everyone around us who we trust and who we really are. Um, But catch this. This is very important that we understand this. Our life, the life we're living, is not a proving ground to prove to God how strong you are. That's not what I'm saying here. That's not what Paul is saying. It's not a proving ground to prove your worth to God. Our life is a proving ground to say whose you belong to, whose strength you trust in, right? So our life is a proving ground of whose strength do you believe in, yours, your own strength, your own way, or God's? Life is not a proving ground uh, to prove the power of your own intelligence, to know the truth even, to, to, get to say, oh, I understand the truth. It's a place and a proving ground for the power of God's grace to show you his truth. Do you trust in his power? Do you trust in it and know it so powerfully that it opens up our hearts and our minds to believe in the one true God? as revealed to us in the truth. God's power to reveal truth, not our intelligence to grasp truth, is what is being proven on the racetrack of life, so to speak, is what Paul is telling us. So life is not a field for demonstrating the force of our will to make good choices even. It's not... Uh, picking yourself up by the bootstraps and saying, oh, I'll do it right. I'll get all the choices right. It's a proving ground or a field for showing that we know and treasure the beauty of Christ and his power to master our hearts and minds that then constrain our choices and help us stay on the track in which he's placed us on. That's life, as the Apostle Paul is demonstrating for us. Um, so we cannot confuse the nature of this race. The race of life, yes, Paul says, has eternal consequences, not because we are saved by works, but because Christ has saved us from dead works to now serve the living one true God with this idea of an Olympic-like passion. He's comparing the games, the Olympic games, that we as believers would live our lives and run the race that God has set us on with this Olympic-like passion because he is so worthy. He has rescued us from so much that we could not not run with that passion because of how good he is. So the Bible is saying that we demonstrate as believers our salvation as we strain toward the prize. And the prize is heaven. The prize is heaven. So the race of life has eternal consequences, not because grace is nullified by the way we run, but because grace is verified by the way we run. Did you catch that? 
So this race, the Christian life, has eternal consequences, Paul is telling us, not because God's grace is nullified by the way we run, but because it is verified, like it's visible. God's grace becomes tangibly visible by the way we live our lives and run the race that God has set us on. So how are we running? Is the grace of God verified in your life? Is it clear? Do we run in such a way that he has rescued us from so much and set us on a whole new course? 1 Corinthians 15.10 says it this way, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored. Paul says I labored or I ran or I fought more exceedingly than all. Yet it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. The grace of God verified in Paul's life while he was laboring and running and fighting. Paul's race, Paul's running did not nullify the purpose of grace. It verified the power of grace, right? That's what Paul's talking about. It shows the way we live our lives, the way uh, we live, our, live out our Christian faith, our everyday life and action, the race that we're on. That's, that's the race of life he's talking about. And we do it in such a way that it shows and demonstrates the very grace of God to everyone around you and even to yourself as you're running. And here's what Paul's wanting us to think about. If you think that grace makes you just sit down and just watch, then you don't understand the grace of God, Paul's saying. The grace of God, when active in your life, after he saves you, he says you get up and you run with an Olympic-like discipline and passion. That's what the grace of God does in us as believers. Eternal life hangs in the way we run, in the way we fight, not because salvation is merited on our works, but because, as James says, faith without works is dead. He's, he's getting at. Life is a proving ground for whether our faith is alive or dead. Alive or dead. The race proves the life of faith or not. Um, and then Paul describes uh, how, how, how he runs this race in Philippians 3.12. In this part, we mentioned this last week, but I, we didn't even spend enough time, so I want to mention it again, because this is absolutely crucial for how we understand the way we run the race of life that God has called us to run it. And this is a, a verse, is key to understanding this race that's before us. And I believe... Um, the enemy, the very real enemy, does not want us to understand this at all. He wants us to get this backwards. Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained it, Paul says, referring to the resurrection. Or have already become perfect. He says, but I press on in my race, right? I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? He says, I run, I press forward, I run the race, I go and I go and I go because 
Jesus has already laid hold of me and he's so radically changed my heart, he's so radically changed my affections that my everyday life is now on a new course and a new path and I can run with endurance and I can run with passion and I can run the race set before me because Jesus now has me and Jesus holds me. Um, and this is the utterly unique thing about the way the Christian runner runs. There's a lot of other religions. There's a lot of other uh, religious teachings that have a race, this idea of a race of life and a race to obtain. But the, the Christian life is unique because of the, the way in which we view the race altogether. Here's where it's important. Um, we don't run the race and view Jesus as the judge at the end. Jesus isn't just sitting as the judge at the end and scrutinizing the way in which you run. Saying, oh, you really weren't strong enough here. You really didn't do it very well here. That's not how we look at the prize and the race that God has set us on. The way that we view and understand the prize and the race that we're on is we see Jesus and we see his bloody hands and his bloody feet and a cross. And he did that at the very beginning of the race that he sets you on. And now during the race, because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done, because he's laid hold of us, because of his death, burial, and the power of the resurrection now and dwelling within us as believers, he sets you on this new race. He holds you during the race. He forgives you while you're running the race when you fail and falter. And he empowers you for the race he has you on. He's not just the judge with the magnifying glass looking to try to trip you up along the way. He has paid the ultimate price and he gives you a whole new way and lens in which you view the life you're leading and running. You've been obtained. That's what that means. Jesus has you. You've been obtained for that which you are reaching for. Right? Here's the way it's spoken of in Hebrews 12. The author of Hebrews describes it this way. Let us run with endurance. Here it is again, this idea of a race. This is all over the place. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Listen to this. Here's how we see Jesus when we run. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we're running the race with endurance, um, fixing our eyes on Jesus as the author. An author means he began your story. He wrote it. He's the beginning of it. And not only the one that begins it as the author and the perfecter or the finisher of your faith. He's the beginning and he's the end. Isn't that great? Who this one that began your faith and this one that will, uh, he will be there at the very conclusion of it who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right, right hand of the throne of God. When we look to the prize, we see the one who has already got the victory. And then he summons us as believers to run the way that he ran. Come and run. You're in a whole new race. You don't have to run in the way that you were before, before you knew me. And he empowers us to run in the way in which he ran. That's what this text is about. That's what Paul is encouraging us as believers in. 
Um, and how did Jesus run? If you think about that, if you think about the race that Jesus was on, uh, it was not a race that he sat back and do nothing and did nothing. That's not biblical Christianity. Jesus had a mission. Uh, it wasn't just lip service. Uh, he was set on mission. He says, follow me now in my mission. Jesus ran with tremendous zeal to obtain, and we run now with Jesus, following Jesus with that same zeal to obtain eternal life because we've been obtained by Christ. And our running is proof now that we have been laid hold of by Christ. And so what does it mean that you've been obtained by Christ? What is, what is uh, Paul talking about, to be obtained by Christ? What does that mean for us? Well, um, here's a few things that it means. That you have been obtained by God's sovereign election before the foundation of the earth, Ephesians 1.4. To be obtained by Christ means that you have been obtained by his predestination as adoption, as sons and daughters, like we just sang about, Ephesians 1.5. You've been obtained by the reconciling death of his son while we were still sinners, Romans 5, 6 through 10. You've been obtained by the regeneration and the effectual calling, 1 Corinthians 1.24. You've been obtained by the indwelling and the sealing work of this Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 1.13. And catch this, all of these things, and there's, we could list many, many more, but all of these things before you set foot on the track, before you set foot on the track of the race that God set you on, because you run, because you've been obtained by Christ on the basis of the work of Christ God now calls you to run. Isn't that beautiful? In verse 24, run that you might attain the prize. It's, it's, it's like this idea of go. Okay, now go. Jesus says it's the Great Commission. Go now, therefore, and make disciples. It's, this idea is all over the New Testament. It's not, I saved you, now wait until you die to meet me. It's, I've saved you, I've set your life on a new course of action, now go and run the race set before you. God did not save us to sit on the stands. God did not save us to observe or even just read about or listen to what other great Christians did long ago or are doing right now. Um, he did not save us to sort of sit at the edge of the pool and just sort of dip our toe in and just enjoy the poolside. The whole point of the Bible is that your life is to glorify God through your running and through your fighting, is what Paul is saying. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 6.19, you are not your own. That's kind of a startling verse. In light of the cross, Paul says, you are now not your own. You, you and I, believers, were bought with a price. Therefore, sit on your hands? No. Therefore, just observe what other Christians do around you? No. Paul says, therefore, glorify God in your body. 
a life devoted to the glory of God, is what Paul says. Now, how are we to run? How then should we run this race? Francis Schaeffer, if you're a reader, wrote an entire book called How Then Shall We Live? Sort of answering this question. I recommend that book to you, a wonderful book. Um, the Apostle Paul says it this way succinctly in terms of this Olympic-like passion. Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now, uh, this is a little bit confusing, I suppose, but is he saying that only one Christian goes to heaven? It's like, okay, you're all in a race. Only one of you gets the prize, so you better run to outcompete all your, uh, all your friends here. And no, that's not what he's saying. As a matter of fact, as if you, when you read and put this against the whole of the New Testament, the, the rules of the Christian race, so to speak, is that we are to help others finish the race. That's why we're here in this room. Like our job as believers, part of our running of the race is to help our brothers and sisters finish the race before them. Hebrews 3 talks about it. Exhort one another every day as long as, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's saying when you're running this race that God has called you to, we're to look around and help one another so that we can finish this race that we're on. We must help others. That's part of our call. If we are running this Christian life and running this race that God has set us on, and we are looking around to our right and our left, and we're seeing someone trip, and we're seeing someone stumble, and we're seeing someone struggle, our call as Christians is to stop and to help them. Is to put their arm around our shoulder and walk with them to the finish as long as they need. That's what God's calling us to in this race. Finishing the race is a community project. That's why churches exist. Otherwise, we could just all just sort of be undercover Christians and never have to talk to each other and it wouldn't matter what anyone else's life is all about, but we're in this all together. That's why he calls us brothers and sisters, gives us a new family, gives us a new identity that we're to help each other. The point is how you run, Paul's getting at. Not that only one person wins. So how does a runner win? Well, he runs hard. He gives the race everything that he has. Paul says it this way in Romans 12, verse 11. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. Uh, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Paul's saying, we shouldn't be lazy. We should be fervent in spirit. This idea of fervency is like boiling water. It's like fervent. It's bubbling. It's like the spirit of God should be bubbling up within us and producing life in us. And he says that bubbles up into serving the Lord. It should be zeal. It should be passion. Paul says we're to be a glow for the Lord. Not idle, not lazy, not sluggish, not indifferent, but passionate, not lukewarm. Words like that are all over the New Testament. The way that we run is training and going with passion and zeal and this fervency. That's the way Christians live. 
It's all over the place in the New Testament. Listen, listen to these, just to get a sense for this. This idea that we would run hard and that we would press on and that we would pursue Jesus and not just sit in the stands and not just dip our toes in the water and not just be sideline Christians and not just be consumer Christians, that we would get in the game. It's all over. Strive to enter the narrow gate, Luke 13. Labor for the food that endures for eternal life, John 6. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15. Let us not be weary of well-doing, for we shall reap if we do not faint, Galatians 6. Redeem the time, for the days ahead are evil, Ephesians 5. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 3. Christ gave himself to purify for himself a people zealous for good deeds. Church, catch this. Have you ever stopped to consider this? That if you were not zealous for good deeds, for the good of that which God has called you to, for the glory of God, that you are striving against the very purpose for which Jesus died for you. That's weighty. Um, Titus 2, show earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope till the end. Hebrews 6, love one another earnestly from the heart. It's all these types... All, all of these attitudes, all of these leanings, all of these strivings, all of these longings, all of these go for it, run, endure, do not paint a picture of um, just occupy a chair. And we'll see in the end. It's just, that's just not the way the Bible describes the Christian life. And the whole point is that God gets the glory. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, but they do it to receive a perishable wreath. Remember, he's juxtaposing the Olympic games to our race as Christian, but we, an imperishable. Um, in Galatians, if you remember the fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5, Paul tells us uh, that the discipline of self-control is actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So when we hear self-control, it's not this idea of our own will mustering the ability to do this, but one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So it's actually um, control by the Spirit of God, right? We are controlled by the Spirit of God. The spiritual um, gift of self-control happens when we believe the promises of the Word of God um, are greater than the passions of our flesh that lay before us that we could just run after and grab. So even like self-denial and self-control to say no to that which is the shortcut or the easy way that would result in disqualification, it's not worth it, but by the Spirit's power, we can be self-controlled in the race that God has set us on. Champion athletes that we are so captivated by, that we love to watch documentaries on, and we love to watch them perform, and we love to watch them compete, do not set out to say, what is the minimum amount of work I can do to achieve the prize? They will never achieve a prize if they have that type of attitude. That's not the way they think about what they're doing. 
champion athletes, Olympic-like zeal and passion say, what can I do that will maximize my ability to lay hold of the prize that lay before me? And Paul's saying, this is the way we run our race. That we can get more of God. More of God. What actions in your life will produce more, maximize more zeal for God? will intensify your prayer life, will cause you to taste and treasure more of his word, will cause you to chase purity and reject all the the passions of our flesh that are so easily entangle us and entrap us and ensnare us, will cause us to say no to our own just self-comfort, but yes to chasing after the pathway of God and get more of him. Do we think of our Christian life like that? Verses 26 and 27, as Paul sort of ties a bow on all of this, could not be more out of sync with contemporary American life. I mean, it could not be more polar opposite of what the world um, tells us, of what the world says we should be running after. Listen to this. Paul says, I box in such a way as not beating the air but I buffet my body and I make it my slave. Now, the body is not evil in and of itself. God created it, God has made it, and he will raise it one day from the dead and it will be forever in glory. But the body is sort of the base operation of all of our sinful impulses, right? And sinful desires, and gives rise to all these destructive patterns in our lives that so easily entrap us and entangle us. So therefore, Paul says that when he exercises self-control, he says it's like boxing. And here's the, here's the strange thing. Here's the thing that seems so out of step with con- contemporary American culture. The, the person that he's boxing is himself. Right? He's like, when my flesh says go run after this because it's gonna produce more comfort or more pleasure and I know it's sinful and I know it's outside of the plan of God, Paul says I box my own body and I don't box the air but my punches land and I remind myself of who I am in Christ and what God has saved me for and what he has called me to and the race that he has set me on and I can remember all of that because the fight is worth it and I can say no to the passions of the flesh because he has saved me for a better course that produces more joy and more love and more lasting impact in the world around me. He's saying this, and he's saying, I'm gonna make my body my slave. That's a strange thing of saying, but that's when you think about what a champion athlete does. They push their bodies to places that are unfathomable to us when we watch them, right? Remember the whole Michael Phelps thing a few years ago? I know he's still like this. You watch him, and people are like, he's like a dolphin, you know, they're talking about all this, his body, his, la- his lats are enormous, like, but he, he is doing crazy things. He can hold his breath for crazy amounts of times. He's incredibly fast under the water because he just made his body his slave. When his body was screaming at him to stop, he kept going, and it produced in him this Olympic-like performance. Paul's saying we do the same thing when the passions of the flesh arise. We say no to those things, even when our body is saying, stop. We said, no, it's wor- God is worth it. He is our prize. He is our aim. And he's saying this, I will not be mastered 
by the appetites and impulses and cravings of my body. This is my body's for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, my life is to serve the Lord. Here's the problem. Our human body will say no to this suffering, won't it? It says, I don't, it will say, I don't want to pay the price. I can't imagine how many times Paul must have struggled with this when he's walking into a new city. He knew that the last place he'd just gotten beaten. He'd just gotten lashed for sharing the gospel. And his body's saying, don't do that again. That's foolish. Just skip over this town. Don't say it in such a way that will produce this outcome. And Paul has to remember the race that God has set him on is for the joy of seeing men and women come to know the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ through the glorious good news of the gospel. And he says, that is worth it. That is worth it. And he says, no, I will gladly walk into a a little bit of suffering on my body so that the glory of the Lord would shine and reign. And Paul calls to mind the promise of those um, who would lose their life would find it for Christ's sake. He calls on the Holy Spirit for help and he considers the glory of God and salvation for sinners coming home and being found. They were once lost and now they're found. And he says, not my will, God, but your will. And Paul is reminding us, church, reminding me, these are hard lessons, to learn that kind of self-denial, learn that kind of denial of self-gratification. He says when when we buy into that and we just run after that, that is a pathway away from love because love is sacrificial. Love is costly. Those whom we love, we gladly lay down our preferences and our rights um, and all things to see them flourish. That's the pathway of love. And Paul's saying, that's where I want you on. Paul's reminding us, keep your eye on the prize and it's heaven. Treasure the fact that Jesus has obtained you by his blood, bank on the promise of his sustaining grace in our lives. Only then can we run with power and run toward love, sacrificing earthly pleasures, sacrificing ease and comfort, and instead we run after the good of the mission of God that Jesus sent us on, this race that is before us, that is the self-sacrificing love of for our neighbor, for the glory of God. That's what he set us on. And that's why we do this together as a church. Because now we have a people to do it with. We're running together. We have a people to begin sacrificing for and toward and with. And we can call more people lost in the darkness and say, come in, we're a family that are running this race together. And when one is stumbling and falling, we make sure that they are helped We are not perfect, but we have been obtained by Jesus so we can run and we can run hard and we can run 
with love as our aim toward one another, laying down our rights and preferences. And we don't box and fight and run without aim, but our purpose and aim is clear because Jesus has given it to us and he's given it to us clearly. And he's shown us how and he's shown us where to run. And in that running, it produces life and joy and peace. That's where we're running. Let's pray together this morning, church. God, I do thank you for your word. God, I pray for each of us as you've set us on this path, as you set us on this race, help us to run with endurance. God, I pray for those in this room that are struggling to run at all. They're struggling to walk. Lord, may they feel and know and experience the help of the body of Christ who is willing to sacrifice and lay down our preferences and lay down self-gratification and say for the love that Jesus has shown me I can now love and serve my brothers and sisters God may we love one another in that way may we show the world through the love that we have for one another who you are and whom we belong to may we serve with zeal may we serve with fervency by your spirit God, I pray for those in here that um, are feeling apathetic. Lord, would you awaken something in them by your spirit that would cause them to want to run this race that you've called them to? And hunger and thirst for righteousness and to know more of you and to have more of you. Jesus, because you are the great prize, you are the author and the perfecter. And so God... Do a work. We need you. Our hope is in you, and we love you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and worship, church.